We've been waiting for you. Come on in. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and Dr. Erica Reamer. Today, we welcome senior healthcare consultant Sharon Easterling. She'll report on how social determinants of health are affecting communities of color. While Sharon has created a new app for clinical documentation integrity specialists, she and Chuck will spend a few minutes talking about that at the end of the program. It's a Talk 10 Tuesday Extra. Looking to spike up your data? Just pass the pepper. Senior healthcare consultant and Sky Authority Cheryl Erickson talks about the pepper. We'll also get the latest coding news from senior healthcare consultant Lori Johnson, Tim Paulus at the Tuesday News Desk, and Dr. Reamer presents your talkback segment. Now, here's the publisher of ICD 10 Monitor, the host of Talk 10 Tuesday, and a man who's quite certain that Publishers Clearinghouse will be knocking on his door real soon, Chuck Buck. <laughs> Thanks, Eric Anthony. Yeah, please come knocking, folks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 491st live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Good morning, Erica. Yeah, well, if you win, you still have to keep being the <laughs> publisher of ICD-10 Monitor and the co-host of Talk 10 Tuesdays. Good morning, Chuck, yeah. and good morning, everyone. <laughs> You know, this morning we're continuing our reporting on the social determinants of health, this one day following the observance of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. That's right. The nation's communities of color are most likely to be adversely impacted by maternal health, behavioral health issues, diabetes, and cardiovascular conditions. That's why we asked Sharon Easterling to be with us today. Sharon is is an African-American, and her insights are quite relevant. Indeed, they are. Sharon's going to report on the need for improving the patient care experience. Uh, she's going to note that distrust in healthcare is deeply seated, especially in the black community, but it all begins, as you know, Dr. Eric Reamer, with the initial patient interaction. That's right. It all begins with the initial patient interaction. Providers can directly impact outcomes with an aim to prevent widening health inequities by tailoring strategies targeted at overcoming mistrust and to refocus on improving the patient experience within the minority populations. And later after the broadcast, we'll have extra time to talk to Sharon about her new app for CDI. Sharon's quite an entrepreneur. She has developed several apps already, and the latest one is CDIYse. And speaking of CDIYse, you have a talk back this morning. What's on your radar screen? My talk back is on the critical role coders and coding is having in COVID-19 statistics. We look forward, as always, to your talkback segment. We have much news to report, and so we begin this morning, as we always do, with Tim Powell, who's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is brought to you by ICD University Bookstore, inviting you to purchase the webcast and the book on the 2022 Social Determinants of Health. Get comprehensive help to correctly use the ICD-10 CMC codes to report social determinants data. This special package is available at the ICD University Bookstore. Here now is Tim Powell. Thanks, Chuck. And the Supreme Court recently made a ruling on mandates requiring health uh, facilities to vaccinate healthcare workers for COVID-19. The ruling actually impacted only a little over 20 states that have received an injunction blocking the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services from imposing such a mandate. In my home state of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis has called the new federal policy insane. In an attempt to thwart the federal mandate, he has instructed Florida's Agency for Healthcare Administration, or ACA, to exclude compliance with the mandate in any of its surveys. Governor DeSantis took the easier, softer route of blasting the mandates on Twitter, while at the same time refusing to tell supporters that he endorses taking vaccines or tell anyone if he has been vaccinated or has received a booster. 
Well, Governor DeSantis can block state workers from enforcing the mandate. He can't stop federal agencies like the Joint Commission on the Accreditation of Hospitals, or JACO, from citing hospitals for deficiencies. But the real stick in the battle is that hospitals will have to prove they're complying with the mandate or risk-losing funding from Medicare. This is not the first time that the state of Florida has oddly left hospitals in the lurch on funding. The state's refusal to expand Medicaid not only costs hospitals in Florida billions of dollars in federal matching funds, it costs the state hundreds of millions of dollars in lost funding for disproportionate share or dish hospital payments. There is an old adage that a resentment is like drinking a poison hoping to make someone else sick. Over 850,000 Americans have died from COVID-19. There's a lot of things to take a stand on, but taking a vaccine to protect your life and the life of others shouldn't be a stand that you take. And with that, back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Tim. That was Tim Powell. Tim is a compliance expert and an ICD-10 Monitor National Correspondent. It's Tuesday. It's January the 18th, and you're listening to the 491st live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Stand by. Are you tired of your clinicians not getting credit for taking care of patients with sepsis? Sepsis is one of the most common discharge MSDRG diagnoses, and it accounts for one in three inpatient deaths. Yet sepsis is widely misunderstood. Adding to the confusion, the official definition of sepsis changed in 2016. Coders and clinical documentation improvement specialists are hesitant to perform traditional and clinical validation queries. The result is a high rate of denied claims due to inaccurate coding and documentation deficiencies. We invite you to spend an hour with Dr. Erica Raymer as she demystifies many aspects of sepsis in an ICD-10 Monitor webcast. This timely and important webcast is Thursday, January 20th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Register to attend at the ICD University Bookstore. Here now with the Talk 10 Tuesday Coding Report is our good friend Lori Johnson. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Erica, and hello to our listeners. Last Wednesday, January 12th, CMS released another errata for the April 1st, 2022 update. Two additional ICD-10 PCS codes were released. These procedure codes have been added to version 39.1 MSDRG grouper. These codes are X. W023X7, which is introduction of tixagevimab and siligavimab monoclonal antibody into muscle percutaneous approach new technology group 7. This medication is also known as Evusheld. The drug is for treatment of COVID-19 and is not a substitute for a vaccine. The second code is XW023Y7, introduction of other new technology monoclonal antibody into muscle percutaneous approach new technology group 7. These two codes are designated as non-OR procedures. With this latest release, there are 78,229 ICD-10 PCS codes for fiscal year 22. There are 200 new codes, 62 revised titles, and 107 deleted codes. You can find the errata on the fiscal year 22 ICD-10 
PCS page or under the event tab on the screen. Just as a reminder, the Coordination and Maintenance Committee meetings next, next meeting is scheduled for March 8th and 9th. The deadline for proposals was December 3rd, 2021. Neither the CDC or CMS has published any of the proposals as of early this morning. I will continue to monitor the websites and keep you informed. And with that, Erica, back to you. Thanks, Lori. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is a senior healthcare consultant at Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. Chuck? Thank you, Erica. And Lori Johnson, thanks very much. We look forward to your upcoming article on this very important topic. Have you looked at your pepper? Well, you should, and explain why you need to look at your pepper. Here now is CDI Authority, Cheryl Erickson. Good morning, Cheryl. Say, Cheryl, what is new about pepper? And please explain for those who are kind of new to healthcare, what is the pepper? Absolutely. Happy to do that. So what's new to Pepper is that they've added some additional coding focus areas that I'll talk about in a minute, but healthcare organizations have a duty to submit proper claims to CMS. However, upcoding remains a common mechanism of improper payments, which poses a risk to the financial security of Medicare. CDI and coding leadership should be monitoring CMS claims data for potential overpayments that occur due to incorrect coding or insufficient documentation. Misusing codes on claims such as upcoding and coding errors are examples of Medicare abuse. And if the incorrect coding or billing practices are not widespread, that's only if they're not widespread practices, in which case it could be an example of fraud. And these are very serious things to be concerned about. CMS has a variety of tools to monitor inaccurate payments, and the Program for Evaluating Payment Patterns Electronic Report, or PEPR, is one such tool, and it's readily available. However, very few CDI managers and coding leaderships are aware of PEPR and looking at it on a regular quarterly basis. Now, PEPR is an electronic report that provides provider-specific Medicare data statistics for discharges vulnerable to improper payments. PEPR cannot be used to identify the presence of payment errors, but it can be used as a guide for auditing and monitoring efforts to help identify and prevent those payment errors. So CDI and coding professionals, uh, the managers in particular, have a duty to be looking at their PEPR data regularly on that quarterly basis when it comes out. Now, PEPR has different target areas. Some are related to medical necessity and some are related to coding. And the results of your organizational performance is constructed as a ratio. The numerator includes discharges identified from paid Medicare claims that are identified as potentially problematic because they're likely to be miscoded or the result in medical unnecessary services according to the Medicare administrative contractors known as MACs or recovery contractors. The denominator is a larger reference group. So some of the examples of coding target areas include strokes uh, for intracranial hemorrhages, respiratory infections, simple pneumonia, sepsis, unrelated OR procedures, single CC or MCC on a claim, and recently added severe malnutrition because we know that's been a huge target area recently from the Office of the Inspector General. Each hospital's ratio is compared to other hospitals at the state, MAC jurisdiction, and national levels, resulting in a ranking by volume percentages. Pepper Data uses the high outlier threshold of the 80th percentile and a low outlier threshold of the 20th percentile. 
if the percentage of paid Medicare claims for the specific target area ranks in the 80th percentile or above, the organization is considered a high outlier. Now, this data isn't specifically sent to the MACs and the recovery auditors. However, they have their own data mining processes and can often identify those high outlier organizations. If you're new to PEPR and integrating a compliance focus into your CDI or coding practices, a good place to start is the National High Outlier Ranking Report, which is part of the PEPR data. This page of the PEPR will have one uh, red one if your organization is a high outlier in any of the target areas for the most recently reported 12 quarters, as well as the total number of times your organization was a high outlier for that target area. If your organization happens to be a high outlier for any coding target area, it doesn't mean there's a compliance issue. It just means you need to be looking a little bit closer at that particular target area. Reviewing PEPPER is a way for CDI and coding managers to identify areas that may be vulnerable to overpayment. If an outlier occurs, investigate the associated claims to validate the coding and billing. If coding or billing errors occurred, determine the cause of the error. Is it human error or process issues? And look for ways to prevent future non-compliant coding and billing practices. Even if your organization is not an outlier or the internal investigation does not reveal potential for overpayments, CDI and coding leadership should ensure there are safeguards in places to prevent non-compliant coding and billing processes and to monitor staff adherence to those processes. This is a really serious topic that should stay in the forefront of most CDI and coding leaders. Back to you, Erica. Thanks, Cheryl. That was a great um, explanation. That was Senior Healthcare Consultant Cheryl Erickson. Cheryl is the Director of CDI and Utilization Management Case Management for the Brundage Group. Chuck? Thanks, uh, Erica, very much. And be sure to read Cheryl's reporting on this subject. It's in today's ICD-10 Monitor. And a programming note, be sure to register to attend an upcoming webcast on Pepper. It's coming your way February 3rd, and it features our own Dr. Ronald Hirsch. So it's entitled, Make Sense of the Pepper to Identify Your Risk and Opportunities. Again, that is coming your way February the 3rd. So... Are there phantom PCR tests or pretend personal protective equipment? Well, you're going to discover what's causing these rumors when Dr. Erica Reamer launches into her talkback segment. And why are the social determinants of health so relevant today? That story is next. This is Talk 10 Tuesday. Stand by. Get a clear understanding of the latest coding, billing, and documentation rules specific to critical care including a policy change that allows physicians and non-physicians to share services. Register to attend Critical Care Services 2022 Coding Update and Major Policy Changes. This essential webcast features subject matter expert and medical practice coding expert Betsy Nicoletti. You will learn several key areas that can help you mitigate your risks for reporting critical care, how a group membership and specialty designation affects coding, how to document medical necessity for concurrent services, when a surgeon is permitted to bill for critical care in the global period, and much more. Register now to attend this important webcast on Tuesday, January 25th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Here's a question for you. Why are the social determinants of health so relevant today, especially among the black population? And why is there a deep-seated distrust of healthcare systems among the African-Americans? Well, to explain why, here is senior healthcare consultant, who is also African-American, Sharon Easterling. Good morning, Sharon. Well, good morning, Chuck. Hello to you and everyone, all the panelists and listeners. 
I'm very excited to be with you here today on the heels of the day honoring our great leader, minister, and orator, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. To discuss this beyond timely subject of disparities and distress in healthcare. So let's reflect on these famous words um, and how they relate to this subject. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal. This is from Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. These words are profoundly rooted in healthcare, healthcare for all. These words are used within government and provider organization, realizing the urgency in being able to provide healthcare or and meeting the needs of the rapidly changing population. As I thought about this healthcare disparity and distress, some things come to mind how we need to focus on the patient experience within minority groups. This is a very complex issue and has many facets. The distress spans across many areas, such as a prevalence of increased hysterectomies in black women, an experience having a mammogram causing shame and reluctance, treatment with unclear explanation of potential adverse effects, an alternate medicine that may be out of network or covered by or not covered by insurance. Focus on the EHR and never making eye contact with the patient and the reduction of the physical exam, making patients feel they are not taken seriously when presenting to the physician's office. Tips for improving the healthcare equity and the patient experience of minority within the organization are going to be vital to move us forward to help eliminate distrust and to begin having relevant conversations, conversations that are going to lead us to meeting some of the requirements needed for social determinants of health, to expand the data, to be able to take action. So what are the tips? Well, accepting and recognizing this is a problem, that disparity and distress is an issue. This then can begin with everyone, and it will help us move us in the right direction. Recruit and employ a diverse workforce. We want the best people, but the best people include a mix of races and a mix of backgrounds. We need to make decisions with better information and better insight, and that is going to be needed through having a diverse workforce. Make addressing this issue a priority by assigning a senior leader to this area. Get trained and invest in staff training for all members, from the front line to the back end to leadership. We need to develop talking points to ease patient concerns, help them understand why we're asking the questions and why their answers are so important to us, and also help foster engagement, especially with data collection and social determinants of health. We need to determine which initiatives are important within our communities and what we plan to focus on. 
We also need to highlight initiatives within leadership meetings with scorecards. People need to see what they're doing and how those actions are making positive results. Do something with the data you collect. Don't just collect data. And when concerns are identified, take action on those concerns. We need to share focus areas internally with the com as well as with the community in a way that makes sense. Remember, you can find great tools on social determinants of health with ICD University, AHIMA, um, and the AHIMA Foundation, as well as CMS has released Achieving Health Equity web-based training course. And this course is a very simple course. I went through it, took it, and got my certification but it's also very enlightening, and it includes a case study, a case study of a hospital where you can see how they decided to embrace this, take it seriously, and put things into action. So thank you, Chuck, for having me today. And everyone, just you know, see where you can go with changing distress in healthcare. Back to you, Erica. Thanks, Sharon. That was Senior Healthcare Consultant and Entrepreneur Sharon Easterling. And coming up, you'll learn about the new app that Sharon has developed, CDIYs. It's an extra three minutes coming your way. Back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Erica, very much. Here at ICD-10 Monitor and Rack Monitor, we're very proud to be participating in the Heroes Vacation Club. So if you're a healthcare frontline hero, or if you'd like to refer one, here's your opportunity. It's the Heroes in Healthcare Vacation Club. And frontline heroes in healthcare get rewarded for being, well, frontline heroes. For example, if you're a frontline hero, you can get immediate access to week long resorts starting as low as $379. The Heroes Vacation Club provides discounts on travel everywhere you want to travel, and you save on hotels, resorts, car rentals, and even airfares. Right, Clark? That's right, Chuck. And you can sign up right now at ICD 10 Monitor or Rack Monitor. That's the Heroes Vacation Club, and we are very grateful for the commitment and the hard work of frontline workers, and we're honored to be part of creating some very important and memorable vacation memories. Now it's time for a very popular segment here at Talk to Enthusiast. It's called Talk Back, and it features our own Dr. Erica Reamer. Good morning, Dr. Reamer. TV and social media are up in arms that hospitals are including incidental COVID-19 cases in their statistics of SARS-CoV-2 positivity. Should it not count if the condition is not the principal diagnosis? Is it a phantom PCR test, pretend personal protective equipment, fake isolation rooms on COVID-19 wards? Does the room turnover not require the same time-consuming terminal cleaning? If it is a secondary diagnosis, is it truly incidental and insignificant, or is it causing the admission second-handedly? Clinical documentation integrity is more important than ever before for COVID-19. It is critical that we ensure providers are documenting accurately and that coders are picking up the right codes in the correct sequence with the right POA indicator. There are actually five buckets of COVID-19 related patients in our hospitals now. There are patients admitted with acute or persistently symptomatic COVID-19 infections with potentially life-threatening manifestations like COVID-19 pneumonia or ARDS. The principal diagnosis is U07.1 COVID-19 plus the manifestation and 
It's present on admission. Why? Yes. For an underlying condition, which was exacerbated or caused by contracting COVID-19. Think severe exacerbation of COPD or heart failure compounded by the hypoxemia of COVID-19. U07.1 is a secondary diagnosis and a major comorbid condition or complication, MCC. Is it for a totally unrelated condition, then they happen to have also have a COVID-19 infection, POAY. An example would be a motor vehicle collision patient with a fractured femur whose admission PCR is positive. These cases are truly incidental. For a condition which COVID-19 is believed to be responsible, but U07.1 has resolved. For instance, a patient who has a pulmonary embolism, renal failure, or organizing pneumonia, but no longer has active acute COVID-19. These patients have a secondary diagnosis of U09.9 post-COVID-19 condition unspecified. They do not have U07.1. Do they have some other condition and they contract COVID-19 as a nosocomial infection? They would also get U07.1 as a code, but it's a secondary condition and it's POAN. The most important relevant official guideline is 1C1G1B, sequencing of codes of COVID-19. The first part of the first sentence says, when COVID-19 meets the definition of principal diagnosis. But people got hyper-focused on the next phrase, U07.1 COVID-19 should be sequenced first. The principal diagnosis is the condition which is established after study to be chiefly responsible for occasioning the admission of the patient to the hospital for care. It is present on admission. It typically consumes the lion's share of the resources. The only bucket above which meets these criteria is bucket number one. Only active infections have U07.1 as principal diagnosis. Sepsis, OB, neonatal, lung transplant infection, all of these bump U07.1 as principal diagnosis per the guidelines. The 20% upward adjustment in the MSDRG does not mandate it being principal diagnosis. There just needs to be a positive COVID-19 laboratory test. The Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, does, however, require U07.1 to be sequenced first to cover the uninsured patient. Does this make the healthcare establishment look like they are gaming the system? The government makes the rules. Hospitals are just trying to follow them to get paid appropriately. Nosocomial COVID-19 could be determined by the POA indicator. Could we distinguish between incidental and comorbid condition? We could roughly make a list of likely principal diagnosis candidates which could be brought on or worsened by having concomitant COVID-19. When there is the combo of those principal diagnoses and U07.1 as a secondary diagnosis, we could conclude comorbidity. Completely unrelated conditions with positive tests and no COVID-19 related symptoms or manifestations could be deemed incidental. Does it really matter? It's not like the public is going to understand the nuanced differences between comorbidity and incidental. They just think we're trying to pull the wool over their eyes. Hospitals are busting at the seams with COVID-19 from all the buckets. An absurdly high positivity rate indicates that there is a variety of crazy transmissibility that is ravaging our population. Incidental, schmincidental, isn't that enough? Back to you, Chuck. 
Thanks, Erica, very much. That's going to be a wrap for our 491st Live Edition Talk to Tuesday. I want to thank our panelists today, Cheryl Erickson, Lori Johnson, Tim Powell, and Sharon Easterling, who reported our lead story. And as always, thanks to our co-host, Dr. Erica Reamer. And now for a Talk 10 Tuesday Extra. Once again, here's Chuck Buck. Thanks, Clark. And for the next three minutes, we're bringing you something special, something extra. Sharon Esterling has agreed to spend an extra three minutes to describe her new app, CDIY. So, Sharon, tell us about your new app and what does it do to make life easier for clinical documentation integrity specialists. Sharon? You know, one of the interesting things that I did during the, the pandemic when we were on lockdown is I learned how to build no-code apps. Um, And as a part of that process, I started seeing how we have, we being revenue cycle professionals, coding professionals, CDI professionals, we have so much information spread all over the place. And sometimes we don't always have those tools accessible to us unless we're working as a part of an institution. You know, they have the tools that they purchase for us and we use. So I wanted to develop something for us. Um, so I started out with HCCYs, which is a web application that helps you find HCC weights and has calculator and resources. But I went on and I started thinking about CDI and how we could have the CDI information that is cumulative, organized, and at our fingertips. It's on our phone, it's on our tablet, or it can be on the PC. So CDI-wise, it it helps coding, nursing professionals and physicians access resources and tools to enhance their clinical documentation knowledge. It includes tools for MSDRGs, it includes the weight calculator, clinical information, as well as helpful resources. Um, The content is packaged in a way that is very user-friendly. Um, and also offers you career success. Now, when I say career success, you know, many of us are just starting in this field, wanting to learn about this field, or have been in it a while, and we're looking for that one little piece of information that can help us. Well, CDI-wise will allow you to be able to access that seamlessly and easy. Um, Of course, it's also... um, where you can download it from the web. Um, so it sits on your phone and or your PC, and you can go through the MSDRG section. It also has a decision tree where if I'm looking for a condition such as anemia or malnutrition or sepsis, it can easily take you to the DRGs as well as content associated with that clinical information. So. CDI-wise is forthcoming, so if you'd like to be on the list for when it is released, you can email info at upskills.org, and I will make sure that you get the information to download CDI-wise. Thanks, Sharon, very much for that extra time to update us on your new app. That was a Talk 10 Tuesday Extra. And that's going to be a wrap for us today. And remember, you can listen to all of Talk 10 Tuesday broadcasts on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. And when you do, give us a review. Until next Tuesday, I'm Chuck Buck, reporting for Talk 10 Tuesday and ICD-10 Monitor. Have a great week, everybody. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.